right. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Motown Sports Talk Podcast. Today is Monday, May 18th, 2020. And Jimmy and I are joined today by a very special guest. He is the editor-in-chief at LionsLowdown.com. And he's also a writer for Sports Illustrated All Lions Segments, Mr. Logan Lamorandier. How are you doing today? How's it going, guys? I'm doing great. Living the quarantine life, getting things <laughs> back to normal a little bit. So it's nice. Uh, it's that downtime of year for the NFL where it's just pretty much all speculation and talking about the upcoming season and trying to predict things. It's a little bit of a lull, but... <laughs> There's still plenty to talk about. Exactly. It's kind of just reaching for straws at this point. But again, we appreciate you coming on and uh, talking about whatever we can t- find to talk about. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. So, yeah, before we get into the line stuff, I wanted to ask you a little bit about yourself. And first off, I guess, how I'm assuming you growing up in Michigan, but how kind of did you get into becoming a Lions fan and what brought you into this sad, miserable life that we live? <laughs> yeah, well, I grew up in Kalamazoo or just outside of Kalamazoo and uh, my dad's side of the family was just diehard Lions fans, and that was kind of just what you did on Sundays mm-hmm. uh, with football. It was Lions, you know. It was always nice being a little kid, getting the, the snacks and <laughs> going over to a friend's house, playing football at halftime. It was just, you know, when I look back, you know, growing up, there's always just fond memories of football Sundays, and a lot of them revolved around the Lions. So it's one of those things where I just grew up being a fan, and um you know, it's it was difficult being a Lions fan, but considering that I lived in Michigan, I just felt it was the hometown team because Kalamazoo is actually right in between Chicago and <laughs> Detroit, so there's plenty of Chicago fans over there. Oh uh, yeah. Um, full disclosure, I was a Chicago Bears fan for a brief second when I was little, Oof. Um, <laughs> not knowing any better that I lived in Michigan. Right. I just had a really cool Lions cup that I or uh, Bears cup that I loved that was from a gas station, and <laughs> but I quickly realized. You know, it didn't take long. I was like, "Oh, I'm I'm in Michigan. I got I got to root for the Lions." Right. The rest is kind of history from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Logan, this is Jimmy. Were you a Bears fan during the 1985 bowl season? <laughs> no, I wasn't. So that's a little before my time. Yeah, like I said, when I was a Bears fan, I just didn't know. I I thought it was always kind of funny too because my dad it really irked my dad, and my dad didn't <laughs> like it. And you know, being a little kid, when the I'd watch the Lions game every every Sunday. But whenever they played the Bears, it was always fun to kind of root against my dad and, you know, go against the grain. <laughs> right. Like I said, it only, it only happened for probably a couple of years. And I was like, oh, wait, like this is Chicago. We live in Michigan. Detroit's in Michigan. Mm-hmm. And I really found myself, Barry Sanders, the year he went for over 2,000 yards, yeah. you know, that, that game against the Jets. I always look back at that game as being like, that was my first time I ever looked back and thinking I was like heavily invested and I was... I was super excited and just felt all the feelings that a fan should feel. So that was kind of the turning point, I think, for me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Barry Sanders made a lot of people Lions fans. And then, again, has just led them on this sad path that we've gone down. We can get we could we could do a whole episode on just refs t- t- throwing bad calls against the Lions and all the misery that we've had. But again, yeah, that just seems like it's never ending. They're always finding some the refs. Yeah, it's like there's always something new, some new rule that be lions fans become aware of because it happens to the lions and it's like one of the first time it happens in the nfl and then the rule gets changed mm-hmm. you know down the line and it's like it some... is. It's, it's really tough to be a lions fan i give lions fans a ton of credit because it's not an easy team to continuously root for mm-hmm. people always say the browns are one of the worst teams which i mean it has been they've had a rough 
patch too. But again, with the Lions, I think it's harder to be a Lions fan because they've always kind of been on that brink. And then again, when it comes to the refs just throwing, like I will say till the day that I die, that 2014 playoff game was rigged. And that was probably the best chance I've seen in my lifetime that the Lions had at making a deep playoff run. But (laughs) they did. I mean, they had a great defense that year and the offense for the most part was clicking. Uh, Joe Lombardi wasn't the best offensive coordinator, yeah, as we all saw, but that defense was good enough and there was enough talent on the offense to overcome the offensive coordinator just making some interesting play calls and schematically it was just mm-hmm. it was different. Yeah. But yeah, 2014, I I mean, that was the closest I've ever seen or can remember the Lions coming to winning a playoff game and it looked so promising to start. Yeah, I know it was so sad. We were winning most of that game and then after that flag is just downhill but again that, that's all off topic that's like we could have a whole <laughs> whole uh, episode just about that all right yeah no, you definitely could all right but my next question i understand you kind of ended up moving away from michigan and that's how you ended up starting the lions lowdown.com is kind of a result of just kind of missing the lions discussions and conversations stuff like that inter- interacting with fans so when yep. did you like start getting into when did you start writing sports like was it in high school or college or before or was that kind of your first jump at writing sports no so i definitely took an an odd path i wouldn't consider myself even a writer (laughs) i i don't necessarily enjoy writing but i enjoy writing about the lions right Uh, you know something that you have a passion for and i'll write about that but you know i actually yeah after college i moved away went down to arizona and for the longest time i'd always had so many friends and family that you know, I could talk Lions with and would be, you know, watch games together with other fans. But when I moved out to Arizona, there's actually surprisingly a pretty heavy, like, Midwestern feel down there. And there are plenty of Lions fans. I ended up, you know, having a ton of Lions fans down there. But when wow. I first moved down there, I was I was missing my usual Lions talk. And, you know, I was like, how? what's something I can do? You know, maybe I'll create a blog and just write about the Lions and get, you know, my Lions fixed through that route. <laughs> and it kind of, things kind of took off. It yeah. Was, it was interesting. Um, I started writing for Detroit Sports Nation for a mm. while as well. And they kind of, you know, I didn't know much about blogging at the time. And they kind of taught me up and gave me my start. And then, uh, yeah, that's I created Lion Lowdown, I want to say, three or four years ago now. Nice. And uh, that was just always kind of my website where I could go write anything. And then I started writing for Sports Illustrated All Lions uh, before almost a year now so the beginning of last season and as they try to create a more like digital content you know i'm a contributor there so it's it's a lot of fun i i'm definitely like i said earlier i'm not a guy who wanted to be a writer or Mm -hmm. thought i would be a writer it was more so fan first and then writing came second and you know, when you're writing about something you like talking about, it comes a lot more naturally than just writing. If you're asking me to write poems <laughs> or, or letters to people, I struggle. And, you know, but talking lions, I can just blabber on for hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Logan, how did you get started with SI.com? Yeah, so actually, you know, they approached me uh, once. Like I said, they were they, they kind of did a shift, joined up with Maven. And through there, they just wanted to create that you know, digital presence where, mm. you know, magazines is as good as running Sports Illustrated have, you know, it's, I grew up with Sports Illustrated for kids, started getting Sports Illustrated, you know, all my life. Mm-hmm. And that's just not how today really operates. Everything is done online. So they um, were looking for just 
someone that could have some fun online and throw write some articles, get them out there. And yeah, it's kind of, I fell into place. It was nice how that worked because I had Lion Low down. It was fine. You know, did plenty of writing there, but you know, just to have a much broader audience with SI, you know, reaching out was really nice. And it's been, it's been a lot of fun. You know, we do some great coverage there and mm. I write there a lot more frequently than I did at Lion Lowdown. It was just gave me an opportunity to do it a little bit more. And I guess just opportunity in general. So it's a nice relationship that we have. Yeah. You've got a lot of great articles there on SI.com. Appreciate mm. it. Yeah, I agree. I've read a lot of your articles. And again, it, you can definitely tell it's kind of coming from more of like a fan perspective. Because me and Jimmy were talking about this um, the other day. Most journalists aren't a fan of the team. They're just assigned or got a job at that place. So when you're an actual fan of the team, you're not just like forced to write about a team. You can definitely tell that someone is more passionate about it. And you can tell like in your articles that you're actually like a fan, not just forced to write yeah. about them. And I, I do, I really do my best to provide something that's a little different. You know, I, I'm really heavily involved in like the analytics and stats and all that type of stuff. Yeah. And that's what I try to, you know, I always have opinions, but I always try to back my opinions at least with some data that can be like, oh, this is why I'm thinking this. You know, I just don't, I typically don't have an opinion just because it's an opinion. It's usually because I came across some details or some figures that it's like, hey, this is kind of, I let the numbers kind of shape my opinions. At least I do my best and yeah. really try to deep dive into all that type of stuff. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm a huge stats guy too. And like you said, the people always say that obviously there's like the eye test versus the stats, but stats kind of always tell some sort of some sort of story, no matter what stat line it is, you can always tell read into it. But then obviously the eye test is always a big thing too. But yeah, it's just goes back to that debate of, you know, analytics versus you know, like the traditional scouting mm -hmm. where, yeah, you do. You have to take everything with a grain of salt. Stats aren't going to tell the whole story and situations can vary differently if you're trying to compare two players. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously being on one guy on another team that's in this system versus, you know, the Lions system, it's going to be very different. So you do. You, you can kind of create stats to, to fit your narratives, but at the same time, you can't just throw away stats and, right. you know, render them useless just because you don't agree with what they're saying. There is some <laughs> truth to it, but you do. You have to keep an open mind yeah. and go by the eye test a little bit, but help use the stats to kind of back what you're thinking. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Like I said, every stat line tells some type of story, no matter what it is, or tells some truth behind a player team or regardless but um going back to the si thing with you being associated with um sports illustrated does that kind of give you like more of an access to like the team at all or do you just kind of just contribute to si and that's it like you don't have any extra press com like access to the team or anything normal fans don't get to see so yeah si is actually media credentialed and uh which is nice mm -hmm. i haven't really gotten too far into that <laughs> whole aspect of like trying to go down to allen park or go to the games as much as i would think that's great to do uh and i really enjoy just breaking down the game yeah uh, player interviews are, are great but a lot of times i think they're just filled with so many cliches it's stuff that doesn't interest me as, as much you know mm -hmm. I, I i typically like to break down the game more than anything and that's something that i can just do you know from a computer or watching the all 22 film <laughs> or just watching games that's that's the aspect i really enjoy yeah but yeah si has their media credential they go to the games and if you know i wanted to go that route or try to push that you know, i i probably could but that still might be in the plans in the future but at this point i'm very happy with just being a contributor and you know just doing what i can there yeah and just writing articles and kind of sticking more <laughs> so to football than you know maybe the 
stories outside of what happens on the field. Mm-hmm. So you said you're based in Arizona, right? Right now? Well, or? long story, I'm actually back in Michigan. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, cool. so I moved out to Arizona, ended up actually moving to, to Milwaukee for a couple years as mm. well, just to get back in the Midwest. And then, uh, but I'm now right outside of Ann Arbor. I live in the Canton area. But so, yeah, it's, it's nice to be back in Michigan and a lot closer to Detroit. So, <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I've, I've kind of taken toured the the United States a little bit. That's awesome. Yeah, I've only lived in Michigan my whole life, so that's my again sad story. But so you said like basically going back, you do have like credentials. So if you wanted to like get into like the media press conference and like ask questions to players, you could if you wanted. Yeah, I I've never I've actually never even asked, but I know that's been you know brought up before. Mm-hmm. You know, last year so much I pretty much put that on the back burner. Wasn't. Yeah high on my priority list but if i wanted to and really made a push for it yeah i probably could um so john macaron our our editor at si he currently has you know all that access does the typical beat reporter yeah. uh, schedule where you know going to the games going to allen park being on all the zoom conference calls that are going on right now just due to the pandemic uh and i yeah it's, i'm totally fine with him taking that part and i'll do the more of the film and analysis type of stuff yeah i agree Besides the press conferences would you have any other access to like locker room training room the facilities anything like that yeah i mean it's a full fully credentialed pass that si has and nice. as of right now it's i think i believe it's only like one pass and that's typically how it is mm. you know for all the different you know the, the newspapers or radios out there like they typically have one pass they can probably get more if they like but yeah it's it's full access so it is it is nice if i if i wanted to you know had a question or something you know i can kind of reach out to john and be like hey like ask this question or you know dig into this for me and he can typically go find it and take care of it well i wanted to ask you about your background and where you went to college what you studied i saw in your bio that it's sports medicine at yep. wmu so so yeah it's i went to wmu western michigan for my degree was in exercise physiology and so this writing has never been a full-time gig for me it's always been just again going back to the lines being a passion of mine mm-hmm. or something that i've done on the side and so I actually work in sales, um, selling sports medicine equipment. So nice. all of the equipment that you need for like, you, for most common fans are familiar with like knee scopes, you know, cleaning up the meniscus, ACL repairs, rotator cuff repairs, labor repairs in the shoulder, mm. small joints. So pretty much any soft tissue injury, which a lot of times happen through like sports related type of injuries. Uh, the equipment that I sell, you know, is able to fix all that, you know, the, the scope equipment and all those related instruments. So it is, it's, I've, I've kept in that field and that's another passion of mine. I, you know, there's a reason I went to school for exercise physiology. It was more of like, almost like a pre-med cause I did that the human body, just anatomy has always been, you know, fascinated me learning how the body works and yeah. how it functions. So I've, I've stayed in that field and I, I really enjoy it. It's something I enjoy working every day and I enjoy being able to, it gives me the freedom to kind of create my own schedule to a degree mm-hmm. and able to also you know, write about the lions while doing my other job, it's it's a good combination right now. Yeah, that's awesome. Jimmy here is actually in the medical field as well, too. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. What do you do? Uh, I'm a medical doctor at the University of Medical School. So. Oh, wow. That's that's awesome. Yeah, mm-hmm. so we're we're in a similar field. Mm-hmm. It's on the top of this COVID quarantine thing. How has that affected you personally, Logan? Coverage so, yeah, yeah, with elective procedures, uh, they started up doing those last week. So, again, that's kind of those 
uh, procedures you'd see in my field where they're not necessarily emergency procedures. I don't deal with trauma cases or anything like that, but it's, it's been different because the hospitals have put all their resources into just helping you know the covid pandemic uh, it's been a change it's unprecedented we've never seen anything like this before and now that we're able to start getting back up and going you know things things have been busy so it's the silver lining to it is that i have a almost a two-year-old son who you know i've probably spent more time with him than i'll ever be able to spend <laughs> with him just because it's been nothing but being at home right. for a month and a half and i'm fortunate for that aspect but at the same time i'm also ready to be back working <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think a lot of people are again we find it real interesting like how you have all the access and stuff like that and get to see kind of i mean you don't really utilize it but it's still amazing that you have like that type of access and it's obviously way more stuff than we'll ever get to see so yeah, so, Logan, is there anything that you might know that us regular fans who don't have as much access might find interesting about the line? Um, not necessarily. It's kind of crazy. Just, again, the social media today, you know, just in this type of world we're living in where a lot of stories are broken from, you know, the Adam Schefters or the Ian Rappaports of the world. Mm-hmm. You know, the agents are typically going through the big guys to break stories. You'd be surprised with how much information, because when I, even when I first started Lion Lowdown, there was so much information available just through social media that I felt like it was more than enough information that I needed mm-hmm. to, to write. If you wanted to get like personal with players though and ask those type of questions, yeah, that's something that you can try to ask them, you know, through Twitter or Instagram, whatever way you want to connect with them, but they might not always respond. You just have a little bit more. Uh, I have noticed like with tr- Twitter, you know, Twitter's just kind of a weird place. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get a lot of interactions with, with players just through Twitter. And what's kind of interesting is that you look at all the players that used to be very vocal on Twitter, they're all gone from the lions <laughs> yeah you know, the darius slays the quandre digs you know the ebrons the guys that were you know just on social media quite a bit i don't think the lions necessarily like having those type of players that are super vocal and just talk through social media mm-hmm. it's kind of the culture i think they're trying to build but you know, at one point in time it's just i think the common fans have a ton of access to players just through social media which i think makes today really cool imagine you know just 20 or 30 years ago if there was still twitter you know how much different fandom would be Mm -hmm. uh having that type of access yeah it's crazy like with the whole the that last dance show going on everyone's talking like what if twitter was going on back when all this stuff was going on it would be crazy yeah and there's video cameras now everywhere you know there's you know you just that's what's the nice thing about the last dance is just you see inside you know or just videos that would probably be all over social media yeah it were in today's settings but uh you just didn't get that back then yeah exactly and you you made a comment about how players like you can reach out on twitter and they or even you don't really do the press conference because players always just kind of talk cliche and we are gonna talk to you about the press conference they've done recently Jared davis and stafford and patricia but me and jimmy have discussed too it's like they don't they might say one or two things that's kind of interesting but for overall they just it's not really interesting they just kind of debunk rumors say the cliche stuff say i'm i'm here i'll do whatever coaches want blah 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 it's always the same stuff from all the players all everything so yep very true and that's i could i could watch those videos and i typically do but i just 
more often than not, just wait till the transcripts come out and kind of glance through them really quick, see if there's anything interesting that was said. But again, it's just so often filled with those cliches. are like, all right, yep, you mm-hmm. expect him to say that. You expect him to say that. And especially with the regime that's in place right now with the Lions, you know, both Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia coming from that Patriot tree, mm-hmm. they just don't tend to give much information that's really like earth shattering or anything like that during these press conferences exactly it was sort of similar in the past with jim caldwell too i mean like you said we kind of had some players that were a little bit more vocal but for the most part the coach jim caldwell didn't really say much in press conferences it was just kind of silent and same like bill belichick is on to the next or whatever they don't really say much at all yep yeah they, they really don't it's tough to get good answers out of them or things that would be you know like noteworthy that you could write about and you know, people would be interested, but more often than not, it's just ask them a question and you get the answer you expect. Exactly. Same thing. Um, so yeah, going, moving on to the next thing, I just kind of want to get your thoughts on Stafford putting his house up for sale. And I know Kelly kind of debunked it immediately by saying it's about the safety of her kids, which I can completely understand and think is a perfectly valid reason. But obviously, like we said earlier, people on Twitter over-exaggerate everything and freak out. So, and I mean, I understand you just said you have a young child as well. So, how like do you think this is a big deal or do you not think it's just nothing they're just trying to get to a better house or safer house and that aspect? yeah I, I saw it and i knew what the reaction would be everyone would get up you know in a one big <laughs> giant panic like what's what's happening here but right considering the room yes there was trade rumors they seemed to be completely false and bob quinn backed up that statement mm-hmm. you know, by texting the beat reporters saying, you know, this rumor is 100% false with double exclamation points. (laughs) Stafford was just on, you know, a Zoom chat a couple days ago and said that, you know, the trade rumors didn't bother him. He knows he's going to be here. He wants to be here. Mm. You look at how it makes sense for the Lions, even if they were secretly considering trading Stafford this year, it makes no sense from a cap standpoint. Mm. The cap hit would be way too big. And you can't justify trading a player that has that type of cap space, especially in a win-now season. Mm-hmm. It's just all the signs point to Stafford's going to be here, at least for this year. I'm I, I'm a Stafford guy myself. I think he's a good quarterback, and yeah. teams can win with him. Um, but say if a new regime were to come in next year and wanted to do a complete rebuild, his contract wouldn't be prohibitive where you couldn't trade him. Mm-hmm. But as far as this year goes, yeah, I, I have no concerns. And Kelly, she always, it's, it's always nice. Again, going back to social media, she is the first one to post on social media <laughs> saying, hey, everyone calm down. You know, mm-hmm. I completely understand. Four kids are going to have four kids all, you know, at or close to under the age of three. You don't want to have some big giant infinity pool in your backyard and on a lake. Like that's just having four kids running around trying to watch them. That's I know it's difficult enough with just one. I can't imagine four. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't have kids myself personally. So, but I could, again, I can, can just completely understand the, just the feeling, the feeling of safety. Like you said, you can't watch four kids all the time. They're running around. So it's, right. it's, it's tough. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough where I have my wife. She was a teacher. She just has that nature about her that, you know, it's just a great mother. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was kind of like the awkward dad when, you know, my son was born. Or it's like, <laughs> I don't think I've ever held a baby in my life. I'm like, oh, like, what do I, what do I do here? Yeah. Am I, am I doing this right? <laughs> so <laughs> I rely on her for a lot. But, you know, it's, you kind of learn on the fly with kids. And I've, I've enjoyed it. And it's, it's been a lot of fun. And he's getting to the age where he can start throwing the football around. So that's, <laughs> Right. At least a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, though. 
Um, Jimmy, yep. I think you had some comments on the Stafford selling, putting his house up for sale. Yeah, I feel like one thing we need to remember with Stafford is that him buying and selling houses viewed through his financial lens. He's got homes in Georgia, California, and where else. He's got multiple homes. Likely flies a private plane everywhere. <laughs> and right. this reminds me of Josh McCown, who was featured on the All or Nothing show with the Eagles this past season. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have seen that, Logan. Yeah. But I love it. it. I wish the Lions it. would be on All or Nothing. Oh, yeah. I love that show. <laughs> Great. It's a good one. But Josh McCown showed him flying every week from Philly to Charlotte, being an assistant coach for Sung's high school football. <laughs> <laughs> Quite the schedule. Yeah, he's flying private, playing this every week. The guy who played 17 years as journeyman. <laughs> Lions fans, we remember him from 2006. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hoping he beat up John Kitna. Good at that. So Tim McManus of ESPN, some good research into or private flight thing on that Atlantic Aviation, which the service uses, offers light jet trips for about 10,000 to 14,000. On trip from Charlotte, and Josh McCown took 13 of those trips. That that's <laughs> at least $130,000 that Josh McCown spent private flights. That's crazy. Like Gafford, uh, Josh McCown's career earnings, according to Spotrek, are $51 million. Just in 2017, Stafford earned $51 million. To the, a big sign. Yeah. Stafford right now is cumulative earnings are 110. So Stafford lives in a different universe than <laughs> Josh McCown. So for Stafford to buy and sell a house, it'd be like one of us getting a new parish. Right. Oh, exactly. And you know, it's not like they have this house probably up for sale and they probably already have another house bought or it will be soon. It's, it's going to be another $7 million house. And it's just... <laughs> Okay, we're just gonna buy this real quick. We'll sell our other house when we sell it, type of deal. Yeah, and they're they're stuck down in Georgia right now, anyways. At at their other house, like you mentioned, all of his different houses that he has. But yeah, it's to me, it wasn't a big deal. It's just you do instantly when you see a quarterback's house go up for sale, you always question, okay, like what what's happening here? Mm-hmm. So it's it is. I with Stafford, everything just points to yeah, he's gonna be around here for a while. And yeah, selling a house, I think it's solely due to having four kids and for as big as this house was <laughs> i was surprised it only had five bedrooms yeah <laughs> if you're gonna have four kids and obviously matthew and kelly they're running out of bedroom space <laughs> exactly so yeah they needed a bigger home to begin with so right yeah we're both stafford lovers here again we didn't think that he was going to be traded or should have been traded or whatever at all from the beginning we didn't want to either because we both agree he was vastly and um again that's a whole nother topic he's injury prone stuff like that but that's another topic we can move on to but yeah we're we love stafford and we hope he's staying around and again i think that he can lead the team to a super bowl i know there's the conversation about the quarterbacks with the most amount of money the highest contracts and how they haven't really won the only ones who have even gotten close i think are jared goff and Matt Ryan, but neither one of them won the Super Bowl. So either way, I think they're putting the right pieces in place and building around rookie contracts that they're putting a nice team together. Yeah, they really are. And I I totally get you've seen it. It's kind of like the new blueprint. Uh, Unfortunately, Stafford was one of the last years of that old CBA where Mm -hmm. the the top pick of a draft class was instantly like one of the highest paid players in the NFL. Right. That's what happened with Stafford. So you never got that luxury of having the rookie contract. So Stafford will probably be for quite a while one of the highest paid players in the NFL mm-hmm. when it's all said and done because there's not going to be those rookie quarterbacks coming out just making huge money to start. They're going to have five years of 
modest, you know, to even below. You're looking at what Patrick Mahomes has been making the past few years compared to what he's doing on the field. It's just a huge disparity. Right. And that's the nice thing about it is having a rookie quarterback. But in my mind, for the Lions, you're looking at trying to find a quarterback because you don't even first round there's plenty of first round busts at quarterback they're not oh, yeah. all home runs and no matter the case you're still gonna have to put a team whether it be around the rookie or around Stafford and what would you rather which route would you rather take you know building around a rookie and having maybe about 20 million dollars of extra cap space per year to go after free agents mm-hmm. or would you rather just try to build a team and with through other rookie cheaper contracts at other positions and build around the quarterback so there's two schools of thought mm-hmm. I I'm with you guys, though. I believe Stafford can win a Super Bowl if he, the Lions were somehow to find a running game at some point and have a defense and just kind of create. Again, you look at all – I always go back to this. The The Chiefs kind of blew up my, my theory that I had this past year. But before the Chiefs, you look at all the teams that were winning Super Bowls, and more often than not, it was great defenses and running games. Maybe they didn't – statistically weren't a great rushing attack but they could run the ball when they needed to. And that's one thing I don't think Safford has ever had. I don't think they've ever had the type of rushing attack where they can be – the defense knows, you know, fourth quarter, four-minute drill where you just have to run out the clock. Safford's never had a run game where you could just hand the ball off and close out games. It's just – Exactly. Yeah, it's it's a long story. You know, <laughs> there's so much to yeah. unpack with that whole – stop but <laughs> yeah that's my biggest thing i my argument for anyone who's i have as someone at my work who is hates staff he's always saying we should get rid of him and that's always like with anyone my top my argument has always had been that he's never had the right team around him obviously people say he's had calvin and he had the great defense like we said in 2014 and that again that's kind of the outlier that was the best team but still he's never had a consistent offensive line even when we have had a good offensive line they've been injured and often different players are in and out and same with the run game when we have had a good running back like either carry on johnson or javid best they they end up getting hurt and they can't be consistent so his entire career he's never had a consistent good offensive line or a consistent run game and hopefully this year will be i mean the offensive line's a little bit questionable but hopefully though just the run game in general can be a lot more beefed up than it has been and i always say this about people always say that calvin johnson made stafford well you look at what stafford has done without calvin johnson and Mm -hmm. you can arguably say he's had his best years without calvin johnson and you also look at all the top paid receivers in the league like the best receivers in the league none of them have super bowl wins yeah and yes the receivers make the flashy plays and the highlight plays but yeah it's more of the the strong running game and defenses that win games not the receivers if you look at julio jones yeah he got two super bowls never won one antonio brown never won a super bowl when he was top in the league and they had a, a dynamic offense uh, at pittsburgh you look at deandre hopkins mm-hmm. you know Larry fitzgerald made it to the Super Bowl, but they never won. I, the receiver position is one of the most overvalued positions in my mind because you look at what they're making mm-hmm. per year. They're getting a ton of money, but all the top paid receivers right now in the league aren't on teams that have won Super Bowls. And that's where I just think giving Calvin Johnson all the credit for Matthew Stafford's early success in his career, yeah, it definitely helped. But we've seen Stafford without Calvin Johnson now for a few years, and he hasn't had any issues <laughs> uh, putting up some pretty impressive numbers. Yeah. 
That's what I said the year after Calvin Johnson retired. I was like, this is the year to see if Stafford is the legit or if it was just Calvin. And he definitely put up and he proved it that he had the talent. It wasn't just a good wide receiver. And you also, again, it goes back. You were talking about having a good run game at all. To be able to get open as a wide receiver, you have to have a good run game. You have to have a threat as a running back. You have to have the defense fear that like have some type of security blanket for that running back. And you can't just double cover every wide receiver out there. So it all does go back to having a good run game. It really does. And that's how you close out games that's how you control games mm-hmm. uh you see so many of these younger quarterbacks that come in and have success right away in the league and i just feel like so often it's because they come into a team that's pretty well set they're just looking for a corner a quarterback to be the final piece of the puzzle mm-hmm. and that's that hasn't been there's never been a complete team around stafford maybe outside of 2014 but there's never been there's not once had the lions finished in the top half of the league mm-hmm. for rushing since Stafford's been drafted, since 2009, the year Stafford was drafted, Lions are 32nd in rushing yards <laughs> yeah. over that time. So it's just, I think it's its really difficult for a lot of people to just grasp that Stafford's been in the league that long and has never had a true running game to help him out and be more efficient and take the pressure all off of him. And you see it with these younger quarterbacks that once they sign the bigger contracts and they start losing pieces around them, they can't be as successful because the game is completely on their shoulders where Stafford's the game's been completely on Stafford's shoulder for his entire career with the Lions. And that's mm-hmm. just typically, it's an anomaly almost that you can go so many years being in the NFL and never have a legit rushing <laughs> attack to go along with a great passing attack. Yeah, exactly. And one other topic I wanted to think, uh, we were talking about how Stafford's made so much money since he's been drafted his first year. Do you think that after he got this huge contract and was the highest paid quarterback, do you think on it, if, well, I'm assuming that if he finishes out this contract and he wants to continue staying with the Lions, do you think possibly he takes a lower contract and doesn't try to become the highest paid quarterback in the NFL? Just so again, so because he's already made so much money and to help him get better pieces, if, if we haven't won the Super Bowl or anything at that time to try and help him get to the Super Bowl? Do you see that happening? Uh, yeah, Stafford seems like the type of guy who would do that. And we've seen him, you know, in years past restructure contracts and not that he's ever losing any money in those restructures. Mm-hmm. As a player ages and considering the amount of money he has made, you'd, you'd hope that he'd be maybe a little bit altruistic and be, hey, like, let's, I want to win something. If I need to take a slight pay cut, I made pl- more than enough money. I can do that. But I, again, that's such a tough situation, especially. Mm-hmm. Because the agents drive so much of you know the negotiations, whereas how much say does Stafford really have, or does he just let his agent Tom Condon, who's known for always getting the most for his players, get the most money? But you, you see it kind of with Drew Brees, you know, he's been, and especially Tom Brady, yeah, these older guys who have taken contracts well below what they could probably get on the open market just to help their team remain competitive. But even with Stafford's contract he signed most recently, yeah, he's the highest paid, and now he's already average year salary. I think he's at like the 10th spot right now. So he's quickly falling down. He still has a few years left on his deal where he'll probably be, you you wait till, you know, Patrick Mahomes get paid and the other younger quarterbacks, the Deshaun Watsons. You know, once those guys get paid, he'll continue to fall down the ranks and he's going to be, you know, like the 15th ranked quarterback in terms of (laughs) yearly salary. In my mind... He's well outplaying that. So it's it's always kind of painful to see, you know, when these big contracts get signed. But that's just the way of the NFL. As the salary cap goes up, the newest franchise quarterback's always gonna be highest paid. But I don't know. I'd like to think that he would maybe take a little bit less than what he could get just to help out the team. But again, when you're looking at personal, you know, you gotta the NFL stands for not for long and <laughs> when you're trying to make as much money as you can in the league, I don't blame players for getting as much as they can. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, obviously, with especially as much as you're putting your body at risk every time you go out there. And Stafford's already hurt his back twice in two years. So, again, it's all a lot of speculation at that point. And we kind of definitely bantered off a little bit on the <laughs> the <laughs> topics. One other thing that just kind of popped in my head, you were talking about like how teams are building off that rookie contract. And then once they get that first huge contract, it kind of, they kind of, the team kind of falls off. I think a perfect example of that is the Seattle Seahawks. They, when Russell Wilson was on his rookie contract, isn't that when they won the Super Bowl and he was still on his rookie contract? Yeah. Yeah. And rookie the, contract. They had a great defense. Yeah. Great the, running game. Legion. Now he's obviously showed that carry teams, but it's mm-hmm. not the same teams of years past when they were winning the Super Bowls. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. They had Marshawn Lynch. They had the Legion of Boom. They had that great defense. And then as soon as Russell Wilson signs that huge contract, pretty much uh, everyone's gone. Sherman's gone. Earl Thomas is gone. Um, Just pretty much almost everyone's gone off that defense except for like one or two players. And same, they haven't been, yeah, they've been competitive, but they haven't been nowhere near successful as they were in that run that they had. And the same can be said about the Los Angeles Rams right now. They're just in cap hell. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of it's a do because they paid jared goff so much money and when they went to the super bowl he was still on that rookie deal and they had all these great players and then once you sign him to his big contract you have to start making some tough decisions on who to cut you can't keep all your veterans that have been helping your team out and you have to go through the draft to find the cheap you know those cheap rookie contracts to supplement what you're doing and the draft is a crapshoot you can't Mm -hmm. really as even the best gms they don't you're never going to be perfect in the draft and i you just look at just their cap situation that's dealing with right now Mm -hmm. look at how they kind of fell off the map last year it's it's a tough situation when you are now asking your young quarterback to be the face of the franchise and to put all pretty much all the game on your shoulders it's a different dynamic you're dealing with there you're no longer able just to rely on a run game and you know, set teams up to stop the run, and then you have wide open passing lanes deep. Mm-hmm. Jared Goff had a great season a couple <laughs> years ago, and now that <laughs> their, their running game started to dissipate a little bit, mm-hmm. you see Jared Goff also struggle. And they just gave two first rounders for Jalen Ramsey, who they're oh. going to have to give a big contract. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure where they're going to get all this money from. I mean, they keep giving out these big contracts, but uh, there's just like I said, there's tough decisions that are going to be made. You have to prioritize which high priced players you want to keep and which ones you can't because once you pay the quarterback you have to definitely hit on draft picks and getting those bargain those bargain contracts to keep the core of your team going mm-hmm. and supposedly the Rams still owe Todd Gurley and what's his name Clay Matthews some money as well again that's kind of off topic but I hear they keep posting about that on Twitter as well so yeah yeah they're not in a good cap spot right now Oh, the Rams owe a lot of people a lot of money. And like you said, they got some contracts coming up that they're going to have to figure out what to do with. So no way you can't re-sign Jalen Ramsey. (laughs) Just give two first round picks for him. Yeah, you better find a way to keep him long term. Exactly. Yeah. So they got a bit of a situation on their hands. So we've definitely kind (laughs) of bantered off a little bit and just random NFL talk. But um, I'm, I'm fine with it. Cool. So, yeah, the next thing, though, I want to talk about is how on your Twitter the other day you posted a poll and you kind of asked who you thought was the best offensive skill position team in the NFC North between Bears, Vikings, Packers, and Lions. And it kind of started a little bit of a debate between people claiming that it was the Vikings. And obviously, because you know, a lot of your fans or followers are Lions fans, they're a little bit biased. So... I guess if you want to elaborate on that, do you really think that the Lions have the best offensive skill position right now, or do you think the Vikings might possibly have a little bit of an advantage? So honestly, I didn't even think about it until Bleacher Report put out an article, and they were 
ranking the top offensive weapons or skill position players, you know, as a complete unit, not just looking at your top quarterback, running back and receiver, but as a, you know, have to include the tight end and the wide receiver twos, even backup running backs and stuff like that. And Bleacher Report actually ranked the Lions as the best in the NFC North. And I thought about it. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I think the Lions probably would. When you look at, no, there's a little bit of question marks regarding TJ Hawkinson, if he's going to be able to take the next step, but no doubt highly talented and mm-hmm. it typically takes the tight ends a few years to develop and then deandre swift we don't know what we have there yet in him but again going by what he did at the college level he's an explosive type of playmaker who is good in all facets of the game where he can catch the ball can play out of the slot yeah. sure-handed but he's also able to you know he's got a lot of moves to make people miss and yeah, the offensive line is a big factor in the run game but looking mm-hmm. from a pure talent standpoint if I had to choose one of the NFC North groups to say, try to create a Super Bowl run for this year, I think the Lions are the most talented. Now the Vikings, in my mind, are very close. Mm-hmm. Kirk Cousins, I, a lot of people give him a lot of crap, but I think he's a, a good quarterback. Not quite on Stafford's level, but mm-hmm. uh, when you see him have a running game with Dalvin Cook, who if he can stay healthy, he's one of the best running backs in the game. Uh, I think the if they still had Stephon Diggs, I probably would have gave the nod to the Vikings as the best. Right. But they added Justin Jefferson in the draft, who's a good player. But again, I don't think he's going to be Stephon Diggs year one. And that was kind of my deciding factor was I like the Lions receiving core a little bit better than the Vikings at this point collectively when you look at the entire group. Mm-hmm. The tight end position, TJ Hawkinson has more potential than Kyle Rudolph. And you can't forget about Irv Smith there as well with the Vikings. They're a talented group. So I, I think it's kind of 1A, 1B with the Vikings and the Packers. If you look at from a trio standpoint of just your top quarterback, running back and receiver, yeah. they might be the best, but they just don't have a ton of depth. And I know they added AJ Dillon at running back in the second round, which I thought was a pretty big reach. We'll see how that works out. But just behind Devontae Adams, you look at their wide receivers, and it's a bunch of guys who are just meh. And I think Rodgers probably makes them look a lot better than they are. So yeah. from going from a skill standpoint, I, I would take the Lions. And again, I try to, to eliminate bias. And maybe I am a little bit biased, but when Bleacher Report also says the same thing, <laughs> it kind of validates my thoughts. I felt good about it. And any poll I always put up on Twitter – Yes, is going to be heavily favor <laughs> Detroit. Right. So take it with a grain of salt. But there was plenty of Vikings, you know, people on Twitter that kind of chimed in and you know retweeted and shared. So I was hoping to get a little bit more, uh, a broader variety outside of just the Lions fans. But it's it was heavily in favor of the Lions. Yeah, for sure. And again, I tried not to be biased when I look at it. And when you just step back and look, and okay, the, I think the argument between the Lions and the Vikings. If again, like you said, if you're looking at individual standpoint, yeah, you could probably say Adam Thielen is better than Kenny Galladay. I might argue that, but again, you could probably say just because of he's more of a got a veteran. He's been there for he's proven himself. And same with Delvin Cook. If he's healthy, he's one of the top players in the league at running back. And then same with Kirk Cousins. He's again, I think Stafford's better than him, but they are comparable in some way. But when you said, like you said, you go back to depth. I think is a whole running back group if healthy with carry on DeAndre Swift and Bo Scarborough I think that's a better group collectively and again I think with our wide receivers with Marvin Jones Kenny Galladay Danny Amendola I think as a group we've got more I think they're a lot better there and then same thing with tight ends like you said TJ Hawkinson I do think he definitely has the potential to be like the next George Kittle Zach Ertz type player in this league and 
Also, we still have Jesse James, too, who people sleep on a lot. I know he wasn't that big last year, but he still has potential, too, to be a big play tight end as well. So I think as a whole group, if you're looking at everyone, I think the Lions do definitely have a better skill position group, in my opinion. Yeah, it, it is. It's debatable, and it's just different type of players. You know, Adam Thielen versus Kenny Galladay. Like, who's better? Right. In my mind, it's Galladay, but <laughs> Adam Thielen wins in different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, still a very good player. It's, it's tough trying to, you know, really... <laughs> you know just nitpick about who's better it's like well you know they're probably both in the same tier but again it's slightly i'd say kenny galladay is so right it's depend. it just depends how you value your, the top ranked guys versus your depth guys and if you take depth into account i do wholeheartedly feel that it's the lions who mm-hmm. have the best skill position players yeah i completely agree logan you said you had some interesting analytics i'd be curious just any specific fields of the analytics or anything you want to just talk about regarding that um not necessarily i i think it's pretty broad like analytics in general but i i've lately i've just been really digging into the draft the guys that we selected mm-hmm. and looking at what they've done and jeff akuda continuously I actually just posted something on Twitter last night about just what, the type of success he had in college. And yes, college is different than the pros. He had one of the better defensive lines in the entire nation. Mm-hmm. That definitely helped him out. He's not going to have that with the Lions. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you look at what he did on passes over 20 yards. There was 11 targets in 2019 where Akuda was targeted on passes that traveled more than 20 yards. And he only allowed two completions. His longest completion he allowed was 28 yards. I thought that was pretty fascinating and pretty good you know, yeah anytime he's challenged deep more often than not he's making a play or just in such good coverage where the receiver doesn't come down with it and then even the mid-level type of routes you know that 10 to 19 yard range quarterbacks had a passer rating of 18.8 when they were throwing at akuda wow. in the 10 to 19 yard range and that's just <laughs> amazing yeah you know, a quarterback spiking the ball into the turf every play will still get you a quarterback rating of 39 yeah, so that's that's really impressive. I'm I'm excited to see what he can do in our defense. And honestly, I think to him and paired with Desmond Trufant and like are the man coverage that we style that we like to play. I think it's going to be really deadly. Honestly, yeah. And Trufant, as long as he can stay healthy, he's not on Slay's level, but he has a skill set there to really be exactly what the Lions want in a heavy man scheme. Mm-hmm. You know, Trufant's a very athletic player. They came out in the same draft as Darius Slay, and Trufant was a first round pick, and Slay was a high second round pick. So there's obviously by this point we know. What these players are but to be a first round cornerback selected you have to have some pretty impressive measurables and Trufant checks all the boxes there yeah he had four interceptions last year in just nine games mm. so again he, he's probably not Darius Slay uh but he's still going to be as really solid if you look at Okuda and if Okuda can just live up to expectations and mm-hmm. yes there is a learning curve at corner but at the same time we've seen plenty of first round highly talented corners come into the NFL and have successful rookie seasons right away and if Okuda can follow suit and be one of those type of players paired with Desmond Trufant, uh, it's arguably the best cornerback duo that we've had in quite some time. It's outside of Darius Slay, maybe the going back to Rashawn Melvin. Mm-hmm. You know, he is at the tail end of his career. Or not Rashawn Melvin. I mean, uh, Rashawn Mathis. How he's oh, yeah. mixed those two up. When he was still around and Slay was starting to come on when he was a younger player, mm-hmm. I would say that the duo that we have going into this year is probably the best since, you know, Mathis and the young Darius Slay. So that's and it's heavy Lapidon. You can't you can't forget Justin Coleman either. He's mm-hmm. one of the better slot cornerbacks in the league. And so you look at that trio, I don't think there's been a better trio I can think of on the Lions roster in a really long time. Yeah, and people also forget about um Amani Awarje too. He 
yep. he, he wasn't obviously spectacular last year, but he played got more playing time towards the end of the year, and I he did okay. Again, it kind of you have to go back to the eye test, but he Darius Slay didn't have such an amazing rookie year, and look at how he's turned out. So I do think um, Amani can turn into a good cornerback in this league if he's given position as well oh 100 percent. and aruare was funny enough was a guy that going into the second round last year i would have been fine taking him in the second round last year and he had, we ended up getting him in the fifth now obviously the nfl wasn't nearly as high on him as i was mm-hmm. but you saw the type of flashes that you want to see from a rookie there was a lot of lapses in coverage as well you know he was very aruare in general just very hot and cold mm-hmm. anytime you pick off aaron Rodgers, that doesn't happen often and right. he did it uh the route that he undercutted, you know, on Dwayne Haskins, a uh, Dwayne Haskins pass was a super nice play. You just saw glimpses of what type of potential he has. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when he got beat in coverage, I felt like it was more of a mental thing or just um, maybe a misunderstanding of, you know, what he needed to do. Uh, so if he can clean up some things, yeah, I, I really like, especially as, you know, like a backup or reserve type of player, Aruare yeah. has potential to be one of the better and maybe even the long term solutions you know once Trufant is getting up there in age mm-hmm. he's the same age as Darius Slay but long term future if Aruari can continue to progress he's I think he could be a solid CB2 option behind Akuda. yeah I agree yeah Logan you had mentioned during the Akuda discussion that he had the benefit of a strong pass rush at Ohio State so how are we going to get a pass rush this year <laughs> <laughs> well it's tough to get a great pass rush when you have a head coach who doesn't necessarily emphasize a strong pass rush. Mm-hmm. Just looking at the philosophy, the Lions were the team that rushed only three the most in the league last year. Yeah, You look at their average number of rushers per play, and the Lions were also near dead last. They just heavily rely on coverage, and they create pressure. Julian Aquara is a little bit different compared to Devon Kennard, but you look at the type of players they had last year, and how they rush the passer, it's not through speed or just winning one-on-one. It's through power and collapsing the pocket and getting mm. inside pressure. And obviously that didn't happen last year. <laughs> but um, I don't know if the Lions will ever be in this scheme as one of the best pass rushing units in the league. I think they're just heavily relying that you kind of saw it two years ago where there was a ton of coverage sacks and the Lions had quite a few sacks, but more often than not, it was just because the coverage was so good mm-hmm. and the pass rush was able to get home. And I think that's the philosophy that Matt Patricia has in this type of defense. It's It'll be interesting to see how Akuda does when he's asked to cover for <laughs> four or five seconds as opposed to you know two and a half seconds, which is pretty typical what he saw at the college level. Exactly. And it kind of goes back to like what I said earlier about how having a good run game helps out your wide receivers. It's the same thing for cornerbacks. If you have a good pass rush, then that helps your cornerbacks. They get like you said, they are not running that whole route and trying to just scramble and keep their wide receiver covered or whatever in some type of way. Yeah, it's probably wouldn't be the route of action I would take when building a pass rush, (laughs) but (laughs) yeah, it's not my call. Yeah, me and Jimmy have talked about it a bunch. I'm we're we're both really excited to see how the new defensive coordinator, Corey Underlin, is going to change that. If he pass, does brings more pass rush, if he brings more than three people on every play, or how he's going to do. I actually watched a video last night. I can't remember who posted it, but they were discussing Corey Underlin's, like the way Philadelphia kind of ran their defense and how they 
how they would run their pass rush where like you said it kind of wasn't just be- beating one-on-ones or beating double play. they would scheme certain players around or do different type of options to get to the quarterback instead of just beating your man straight through the offensive line and i know he wasn't the defensive coordinator he was what the defensive backs coach there i think yeah. but yeah so but still he's kind of got that you know the philosophy of that type of defense so i'm interested to see what again if he rushes more than four if he's going to bring that style over to detroit as well or if patricia's going to have more say over the defense yeah that's what i wonder the most is just how much you know autonomy and is really under going to have in terms of running the type of defense he wants to run or if it's i still think it's probably going to be matt <laughs> patricia's show yeah and yes, it's an upgrade for Underland to become a defensive coordinator, but he's probably not going to be your typical defensive coordinator. And given all the same responsibilities that most of our defensive coordinators have mm-hmm. in the NFL, and I just I I will give Patricia some credit. I do think he's pretty self-aware and he knows their weaknesses. And Bob Quinn has even mentioned that before, where they'll go and evaluate the film and really try to see what they weren't doing well if. Maybe if Patricia's a little bit more open to listening to Undlin and kind of what Undlin has learned from you know, Jim Schwartz, <laughs> who's, who likes to blitz and mm-hmm. is more aggressive, still runs plenty of man coverage like the Lions, but they're just a more aggressive team if Undlin will be able to add some wrinkles into what Matt Patricia wants to do. But uh, I just don't see the Lions going far unless they have a legitimate path, whether it be through speed or the Lions got to figure something out because no matter what metric you look at in terms of, you know, how quickly sacks happened or how much time opposing quarterbacks had in the pocket, the Lions were almost dead last in just about every major category in the past. Yeah. For sure. Um, Jimmy, did you have anything else you wanted? Uh, Just a fun question. Uh, Since you have some relationship with SI.com, maybe a little bit more insight to the team and the rest of the fans. If you were the owner of the Lions and a few billion dollars, (laughs) what one or two things might you do just to change things up? Like facilities, stadium, anything? I'll give Martha Ford some credit. She's invested quite a bit of money into the stadium herself just a few years ago, which was good. Uh, yes, Martha Ford still has the Ford last name, but um, I've been semi-impressed with how she's handled things. She seems a little bit more cutthroat potentially than her predecessor or husband. Yeah. I can't say in particular. I would I would try to do. You know, the stadium is still relatively new. I think it's a very nice stadium. Um I, I'm happy that it's downtown Detroit just because, you know, Detroit, they've <laughs> had some issues the past few years. And yeah. I think as much to try to rebuild downtown Detroit, it helps having those stadiums, you know, businesses around there, especially on game day. But I, I, I can't say there'd be one thing, anything that I change or I'd really like to see, I guess. All right, cool. So we got, we'll just got two more questions for you and then we'll get you out of here. All right. Sound good? Yeah, sounds good. So me and Jimmy talked on, I think, our last episode. The fifth-year option is kind of used a little bit differently now. Before, like I think in 2016, a majority of the fifth-year options were either picked up or extended. Compared to this year, there was only 18, I believe, that were either picked up or extended. Do you see this as like a new trend with just kind of like the financial aspect? Because that fifth-year option is normally guaranteed. And I think in the next CBA, it's going to be guaranteed no matter what. If they're hurt or anything, I believe that it's 
fully guaranteed. So do you think teams are trying just to avoid that and then like possibly extend players on cheaper contracts or what do you think on that? Yeah, so the new CBA, this is uh, the last year. The Lions declined Jared Davis's fifth-year option. Uh, would have put him next year in the ballpark of around $10 million. They'd be paying him. Yeah. And with the old CBA, or the CBA that's still in play, the Lions, as long as he's healthy and he can pass a physical, they could cut him before the new league starts and have you know, zero cap ramifications. They could just cut him. That's what they did with Eric Ebron. They gave Eric Ebron that fifth-year option and then released him right before free agency started or the new league year and you know we all saw how that kind of turned out but uh, I think going forward it's going to be much more difficult to give the fifth year options to players because it is fully guaranteed you're basically saying you have 100% confidence that they're going to live up to their contract and depending on where they're selected and how many Pro Bowls they've been to Mm. it can that all factor into how much they're going to be paid but since Jared Davis was a early 20s pick, they pretty much look at top three through 25, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure that's three through 25 is the top paid uh, players at the position. That would be Jared Davis's salary, the average of the third through 25th top paid linebackers. Mm-hmm. And But going forward, it's going to be completely different because you're going to have to, you're, once you, after year three of that player, you're basically have to decide if you think that player is going to be worth the money and essentially what's two years from after the third year yeah yeah for sure again like again it all comes back to the financial aspect that's all teams are considering it always has to do with what you again if they, you really believe that they're going to fulfill that in that last year and stay healthy that's the biggest thing or i was just about to say the health yeah like players that have struggled to stay healthy you know what do you do with them after the third year you, you think you see potential but the same time if they're unable to stay healthy do you want to give them that fifth year option and you look at what frank ragnow he's going to be unfortunately uh for as a center they don't those fifth year options for it's it's all of offensive linemen they don't just go by the top paid centers they go by the top paid offensive linemen so you have to include the high price tackles mm-hmm. even, there's a lot of high price guards in that figure so frank ragnow next year they're gonna have to decide on if they want to give him the fifth year option or not i think they will but he's not going to be cheap in mm-hmm. terms of center because he's getting lumped in with uh, both tackles and guards as in that equation for being the highest paid yeah exactly so again, that's kind of talking. That's a little off topic. But what about Kenny Galladay? And again, you said Taylor Decker coming up. They're both going to be having extensions here soon. Do you see both of them being extended? Yeah, I I think there's definitely talks in place. Kenny Galladay sounds pretty apparent that he'd be open to coming back. Mm-hmm. It's it's tough to read sometimes what players really want to do because anytime they're in a contract year, they're never gonna. More often than not, they're not gonna you know say anything that <laughs> to that might lose them money. Exactly. But Kenny Galladay, and I mentioned it earlier, where I think the receiver position in general is a bit overvalued. And Kenny Galladay, as nice of a player he is, he still struggles getting separation. And yes, with his body control and just his ability to use his hands to get the contested catches, he wins in other ways. Mm. But it's still, you look at all of Matthew Stafford's interceptions last year, and they were all deep throws. And anytime you have a player who's not, getting separation you're gonna have to throw up passes sometimes and hope that your receiver can come down with it and more often than not Kenny Galladay does he's one of the best contested catchers in the league Mm -hmm. there's gonna be times when the defense wins and that's what you saw last year with Matthew Stafford where almost all of his interceptions were deep shots just giving Kenny Galladay or Marvin Jones a chance and the defender comes down with it so I I would like a guy that has a little bit more separation 
but it just all depends on what I guess Kenny Galladay's asking price is because yeah. the top paid guys like Julio Jones are $22 million a year. Mm-hmm. And you always see these, you know, anytime you go into a new season with a higher salary cap, players get more money. And typically, much like with quarterbacks, then the latest paid receiver is going to be the highest paid. And I just don't know if I would give Kenny Galladay $22 million a year like Julio Jones is getting. Uh, you look at like that five and six range of where the top paid players at the receiver position are getting paid, and they're right around seventeen or eighteen million. I'd be much more comfortable with that with Kenny Galladay. But again, if you don't know what his asking price is going to be, and if he thinks he can get more on the open market, maybe he should try to hold out and go there. But mm-hmm. it, it would just be really difficult, especially for a third round pick, just like it was with Graham Glasgow this year, where you have a homegrown player, you hit somebody, hit on somebody in the third round, and you just see him walk and that's just really tough. And I, so I hope a deal is able to be worked out with Galladay, but at the same time, I'm hoping that they just don't give him just throw you know, the bring trucks at him <laughs> to keep him there. But yeah. What I think benefits the Lions with Galladay's potential extensions that he was a third round mm-hmm. first round as a third rounder right now, this year is making 2.3 million. Not made a lot of money. So if we throw a big signing bonus at him, it'd be much more enticing to uh, hasn't made much money first round mm. yeah no i think he definitely hasn't made a ton of money and oddly enough uh kenny galladay will turn 27 years old this season he was when he came into the league he was a pretty old rookie mm-hmm. and so he might not have this might be his big contract and then after that he might not get another one right uh, just because of his age and so i really do think that yeah he'll probably be looking for all the money he can get but if he wants to stay with matthew stafford and you know, this offense, I think, has done him a lot of favors by just you – know, even if he went to another team, I guess you could – it just depends. Even mm-hmm. if he went to another team, you know, who knows what kind of stats he would put up uh, in a different offense, whereas he knows that with Matthew Stafford at quarterback, and even without Matthew Stafford, he, he got plenty of targets. It's just you never know what the agents are thinking or what the players are thinking, how much they want to stay here. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the same with Taylor Decker as you just wonder – how badly he wants to stay in Detroit and how badly Detroit wants to keep him. But you can't go into a a year without a left tackle. That's one of your key positions. And you do have to overpay at left tackle sometimes unless you want to spend a high draft pick or spend a boatload of money out in free agency on one. Yeah. And it's Decker has been a nice player. Uh, Not elite, not a pro bowler, but kind of similar to maybe what Jeff Backus was where it's like, (laughs) Yeah, you only notice offensive linemen when they mess up. Yeah. And Taylor Decker, when he messes up, everyone's like, oh, that's our <laughs> first round pick. But when you look relatively to the rest of the league, you know, just in terms of his pass blocking and his pressures allowed, you know, he's a above, a slightly above average type of left tackle. And yeah. those are still very expensive when you're trying to find one, whether it be through draft capital or through free agency. Yeah. Exactly. And like you said, you only notice offensive linemen when they're making mistakes. So if you're not looking for, if you're not seeing his number a lot, then that's a good thing in a game. Which again, like you said, I, Taylor Decker, he's, I think he's worth an extension. Again, I don't think he's going to get the top tackle pay, but I definitely think you'd like to keep him in Detroit. Again, as you mentioned, it has to be a two-way street. The team wants to keep, have to keep him and he's going to have to want to stay as well. So 
it's all about that. But then also, isn't this Marvin Jones last year as well in his contract? Yeah. So Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, Danny Amendola, this, they're all on expiring contracts yeah. after this year. So our wide receiver so, in two years, whole wide receiver group could look completely different if we don't extend him. Or Again, and I don't really see us re-signing Marvin Jones as great as he's been for us and all this I don't as with his age and stuff unless he wants to get like a cheap contract which I don't think he will I don't really see him staying in Detroit for another contract yeah it, it'll be tough if you pay Galladay big money and then <laughs> you look at what Marvin Jones will likely command again on the tail end of his career probably not going to get a huge contract but you just think that someone would pay him more than the Lions probably would Exactly. Maybe Marvin Jones is happy being in Detroit. He doesn't want to move his family. He was willing to take a a little bit more of a team-friendly deal. Mm -hmm. It's really difficult to gauge how players feel about wanting to stay or how badly they want to stay. Exactly. Uh, Whether it be through their family or their comfort level or a guy like Marvin Jones, again, he's getting older. Does he want to do one one more move or does he just want to finish out his career in Detroit? But it definitely decreases his chance of staying or the Lions – having enough cap space allocated at the wide receiver position if mm-hmm. you're paying Galladay all this money and then trying to add another higher price free agency at the position. Exactly. It's invested some in the right community with the nothing but bunt business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I was just about to say, that him and his wife started that together and they've kind of built a little bit of a community following here in Detroit. So it is possible. Yeah, that really is. That's one aspect that you can't, we don't know what these players are feeling or how they're p- feeling about being here. But anytime you see them being active in the community, it seems like they're engaged. And, you know, you can kind of read read the tea leaves, but it seems like they're happy here. Or they yeah. don't hate it here, I guess you can say. <laughs> right. Better words. Yeah. And like you alluded, we alluded to earlier when we're talking, when you ask players in a press conference, how or whatever, if you're thinking about extension or all this, they're always going to be like, yeah, I love it here. I want to stay here. But every time they're going to say they're not going to be like, no, I'm ready to get out. I'm tired of this place. Like, you're not going to hear someone say that. So exactly. You're, you're never going to get an honor answer honest answer when they're selling their contract unless they're super disgruntled with a contract like Darius Slay where it's like nope I'm ready to be out of here exactly he's one of the more vocal guys there he is he's out of Detroit (laughs) like the rest of the vocal players Detroit used to have Exactly. I actually had one more question for you. Yeah, go for it. I just kind of, so how do you think, what are your expectations for the rest of the offseason, I guess? Do you see us making any more big moves? Because I know there's still a couple defensive ends available, Everson Griffin, Jadavian Clowney, um, or just anything else. Do you see us making any big moves or anything before training camp starts or even during like training camp preseason? Do you expect anything possible? Or? I would think so. I would like to think so, at least, just with this win now type of year that Bob Quinn is in the Lions still have some you know top three for open cap space remaining and there are there's quite a few free agents out there that I think could help the pass rush uh, Jadavian Clowney is probably the most commonly brought up and mm-hmm. with him I just don't know if the Lions would be willing to pay Trey Flowers and, and Clowney big money if Clowney was open taking a little bit of a pay cut Potentially on another like one year prove it type of deal, maybe the Lions would be. In. But I don't think that's what Clowney's looking for. He already did that once in Seattle. He's he wants the big contract, mm-hmm. the security of you know just a few years on the deal. I don't know if the Lions would be willing to do that with our already paying Flowers, you know, top money at the position. But it'd be nice to have Clowney. I just <laughs> I'm not ex- expecting it. I think the Lions would be more likely to sign players like a Marcus Golden, still yeah. a free agent productive player when he's standing up rushing the passer actually oddly enough you know it seems more productive at least in terms of sacks than Clowney is Clowney's never reached double digit sacks in his career 
and it's amazing all the hype that he gets because he is a just an athletic freak former first round pick has that name going for him where his name might be bigger than his play <laughs> on the field at this point right but you know marcus golden is a guy who i think at his price point the lions could really use just because he, he'd be a solid option at that jack linebacker spot that stand-up linebacker spot uh, where the Lions could use someone opposite of Trey Flowers and maybe even resigning Mike Daniels mm-hmm. uh, again a lot cheaper than what he signed for last year. when he was on the field last year and I know it's a big if if he can stay healthy I think he's still a very nice player for a team that needs interior pass rush yeah but you just don't know what type of deal Mike Daniels is looking for and the longer he remains on that free agent list I think his price probably goes down but it, it, even Everything he's said recently, he's been on, you know, like a radio show and been on social media kind of hinting that you know, he liked the Lions culture. He raved about uh, Matt Patricia last year as one of the big reasons why he signed with the Lions. Yeah. So if he's if he's open to taking a pretty heavy pay cut from what he signed for a year ago, I wouldn't mind. And if he does get injured, it's yeah, it's it, you kind of signed up for that. It, you knew that that was a possibility. Exactly. And that was the biggest thing. Like he, when he was on the field, he was pretty productive. And again, it wasn't, he did fill up the whole stat sheet, but he is a good, like more of a run stuffer kind of, cause he's just so wide of a guy that that's kind of his specialty. And when he was in, he was kind of well. So I think if we could sign him, which again, we've heard rumors that he could possibly be coming back from like a veteran minimum with high incentives. And again, if you play this many games, whatever, just a high incentive contract that we could possibly bring him back. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to it at all. Yeah, I was I'm just going to sure make a comment that. about uh, the guys who are out there right now. A lot of them have injury issues, why they're still out there. Exactly. Like, Clowney's right. 27 years old, so he's fairly young. Unfortunately, he had microfracture surgery in 14 or six years past microfractures or major articular cartilage gone. Mm-hmm. You're going to get de- degenerative knee problems, arthritis. Six years after that, he's already potentially at the from a lying standpoint. I really hope we don't sign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that microfracture surgery. It, you definitely, yeah, six years. You mentioned it. it's like one of those deals where you just don't really know how it's going to progress and if there's still issues. But yeah, well, I guess we'll just we'll go ahead and we'll, we'll let you get out of here now. Thanks again. We appreciate you so much for coming on. We appreciate your time today. I know we've just kind of rambled on a little bit today about some stuff, but. It was a lot of fun no, talking to you. Yeah, we'll link all your stuff in our um, episode description. We'll put your lines low down, your SI and your Twitter. We'll put it all in there. So if anyone wants to find you, they can very easily. Okay, cool. All right. just... Awesome. Yeah, again, we just want to thank you again one more time. Hopefully we can bring you on sometime again. Maybe when season's getting closer, around preseason or something, maybe we can do something again. For sure. Yeah, no, it was a good conversation. It felt like it was more conversational than a lot of podcasts I'm on, where it's just back and forth, back and <laughs> forth, but... Um, yeah yeah it was good stuff awesome for sure i'm glad you had fun thanks Thanks, guys yep stay safe out there and we'll talk soon yeah you too all right so thanks everyone for tuning in we'll see you again next time